Hello? Now? Right there. Okay. Do you see Corey right here? This is what would be very helpful tonight. <laughs> yeah, for those of us who only do this once or twice a year, it's always a little bit of adventure. So the positive reinforcements are great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pray. Father God, I just ask you to be present right now as we go into um, your word. And may we reflect on what you have for us tonight. Um, may you take over tonight and just um, be the words that are spoken and the words that are heard. And um, we just thank you that we get a chance like this to come together freely to worship you and to study what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I did a PowerPoint this time. I've never done that before, so yay. This is actually my first PowerPoint ever that I've ever made, and I actually work places where we use these things, so it's amazing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All right, so Acts 16. What I'm going to focus on tonight, this is Paul's second journey, and what we're going to focus on is looking at his spiritual life and what Acts 16 says about that, about his relationship with the Lord. Um, we'll talk about the first three converts in Europe and then how their lives changed based on accepting the good news into their life. So let's start with Acts 16, 1 through 10. You guys have Bibles around you. You may open and join me in reading. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger day by day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phygia, Phygia, Galatia, and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the providence of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Maesha, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, and again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Maesha to seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So Paul's relationship with Jesus and the speaking of the Holy Spirit in his life really leads him to where he goes and does not go. He takes his cues from open doors, from closed doors, eternal, internal convic- convictions, and also, I think, he takes his cue from his health. <laughs> if we look at verse 10, it talks about we. It suddenly turns into a we. And the idea behind that is that Luke most likely joined Paul at that point in the journey. And Luke was a physician. So... 
as someone who struggles with health concerns a lot, that really spoke to me, that it wasn't a hindrance for Paul to look at his health and say, oh, I can't go to this area maybe because the conditions aren't as good or this area because of this or that, or right now I have to stay put because of my health. He took that as a cue that the Holy Spirit was saying, this is where I want you right now. And you need to stay, you need to go, you need to do these things. So we listened to all those cues and it opened the biggest doors by listening to those cues. The closed doors opened the biggest doors. So we're going to look at um, how his conversion also broke down some prejudices in his life. If you know anything about Pharisees, um, there were three things that they would pray every morning. Thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a slave. And thank God I'm not a Gentile. And what's interesting to see is what's going to happen in this chapter, that all three were prejudices for Paul, that after his conversion were broken down, and he was willing to go wherever the Lord sent him to go. So first, thank God I'm not a woman. So Acts 16, 11 through 15, talks about Lydia. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Theatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us, urged us until we agreed. So before this point, before Paul's conversion, he wouldn't have sat down with a woman. He wouldn't have gone to her house because that was not something that was good to fellowship with a woman. But this day he sat down and he talked with them and he was welcomed into her house after her conversion. So Lydia... She was a wealthy woman, upper class. She was a dyer of purple cloth. So in this day and age, one drop of purple dye is what you could get from a shellfish. And it would cost about $240 these days to dye a pound of wool. So she was the upper crust of society. She had money. She had influence. But she still was hungry because there was something missing from her life. Her wealth did not say she was fulfilled, did not say to her that everything was great. She was there waiting to hear something, and she was open to hearing something. The Lord opened her heart further. The Lord did the conversion, not Paul. Paul offered scriptures. The Lord opened her heart. And then in response, she opened her home. And that's a true response, is hospitality. A Christian home should be an open one. And I wrote down that I really see that a lot as our example from our pastors. Um, The Seneca House is one where we're always invited to drop by, to have dinner, to just engage. 
and learn more about who the Lord is and talk about our struggles. And so that's what that response was in Lydia. Please come. Please be here. Please have this be your, your post that you work out of. So that's pretty amazing, the transformation that can happen of hospitality. All right, the next prejudice that was broken down in Paul is the, thank God I'm not a slave, and interacting with slaves. One day, this is verse 16. Oops, not that one. Verse 16 through 21. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the fortune. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for the Romans to practice. So this was a young lady who was really enslaved to the madness that was going on inside of her through these demons. She was imprisoned by her slave owners to make money for them. And as this girl followed Paul and Silas through the town. She's shouting at the top of her lungs. They worship this high God. On the surface, isn't all PR good PR? That got some some attention. That got them, hey, they're about Jesus' work here. Pay attention. Except if you look at what the culture was in that town. This was a town in which Veterans of service to the Romans, um, military service, where you would go to retire afterwards. So it was a very full of pride kind of city about the Roman culture and the Roman ways. And so this actually was a way to stir up those around Paul and Silas against them by shouting. If they were, if they, if the people knew they were about Jesus, it was about stirring up trouble. And for those who didn't know they were talking about Jesus, they would go, which God are you talking about? Are you talking about this one I worship or this one I worship? And so it was very unclear and very ambiguous for those who didn't know it was Jesus and just created more headache for everybody. Thus Paul's response of, no more, stop it. So he was patient for a while, but then he said no more. Now, Hopefully we're all happy when people around us get healed. We can celebrate. She was no longer enslaved to all these things. She was a new woman. But not everybody's happy when we make transformations. When Jesus comes into our heart and things change about us, not everybody's going to be thrilled around us. So the next chapter, next part of this, is about the jailer. This is Acts 16, 22 through 20 through 34. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. 
Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all that lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed. So this is a picture of what they think the prison in Philippi look like. It's a hole in the ground where they just shove people in. And because the jailer had such fear that if he didn't take care of them, his life was in jeopardy, that they would bring out the same punishment on him that was intended for the prisoners if they got out. That was what the Roman law was. So he pushed them clear to the back as far as he could, hopes in hopes that they wouldn't escape. But by being in there, what they faced was dark, dank, rat-infested, lice-infested, no sanitation. There were no bathrooms. So back in the back, where you got all the fumes, it was really nice and smelly. And then they were beaten on top of that, so they were wounded. They were in their stocks. They couldn't move or stretch as they had cramps in their feet or cramps somewhere else in their body. It was just miserable. The most miserable experience I think any of us can really imagine. And their response was to say, woe is me, I can't believe this is happening, this sucks, how can I serve this Jesus who puts me in, the, in this dungeon? No. They sang and they prayed at the very bleakest time of the night, at midnight, when it was the worst time of day, there was no hint of goodness coming. They sang and they worshipped. And they did not take their eyes off of the Lord. They did not look at their external issues. They looked at, they looked up. And they said, we will continue to be faithful. And they were sharing Christ. They were sharing Christ with everybody through their prayers, through their singing, probably just through talking to the jailer and the others about how the Lord was imprisoned and he is free, and he frees all of us from our imprisonment of sin. All these things that they were sharing as they were there in their darkest moment. They didn't have any will, ill will towards anybody. This jailer had beat them, had imprisoned them, 
and they continue to offer who the Lord is. His forgiveness, his love, his mercy. And that was the decision that helped open that jailer's heart. Created a space for him to say, how, I mean, who do I serve? Who do you serve? How do I be saved? Now, the fact that the other prisoners didn't run and escape after that big earthquake tells me that they were listening, too. There were things that they were hearing of truth that they wanted to hear more of. Because they could have ran for the hills and they could have got away, at least for a while. But they stayed as well. So because of Paul and Silas's focus, they continued to look up instead of around them at everything that was going on. There was great miracles that happened. The jailer and his entire family came to be saved. And what happened after that? Well, jailer clocked out, went home, went about his business. No, he turned completely away from what he was doing. He had beat them, so he washed them. He had been keeping them from water and food and all the things that happened in prison, but he took them home to feed them. He fellowshiped with them. And this was not only radical for Paul to be reaching out to a Gentile, but for a Roman jailer to be fellowshipping with a criminal. That's radical. That is a complete transformation. That's a new person. And his whole family became new that night. This is a short sermon tonight, but that's okay. we got lots to think about. So surrendering our hearts to Jesus should be, you should be able to see there's something that's changed, something that's totally different from day one to day two of when we accept Jesus. People around us should be able to see it. They should be able to experience it, feel it, taste it, touch it. For Paul, his conversion removed bigotry and prejudices so that he was free to open scriptures with anybody and invite anybody in to knowing who the Lord is. It also changed his focus. He was no longer based on the law and the regulations, but he focused on his relationship, on prayer, on worship which opened all kinds of doors in the ministry. For Lydia, she threw open her doors for hospitality because of her conversion. Come stay with me. Come worship here. Come come have this be your outpost. Let me serve you here in my home. She didn't get stuck in her wealth. She didn't get stuck in her current day-to-day, it was transformed. For the slave girl, she was set free too. Now, I can't say whether she was 
mentally okay altogether after that. We don't know. We know lots of mentally ill friends and family who they love the Lord, but they're not completely set free in that way. But they are set free in other ways. They are set free from being enslaved to it day to day. That they have some choices to reach for the Lord, to put their focus on him, and that transforms their day. The jailer. For him, I think we see the biggest change during this chapter. He was changed from cruelty to kindness. He went and washed wounds. He fed them. He fellowshiped with them. He did radical things that were against what he really should have been doing technically by his job. So, the question for us tonight is, has there been a radical change in our lives because of Jesus? Is it something that the person that you meet with weekly would notice? Would your neighbors notice? Would your friends notice? Would your family notice? And if not, Houston, we got a problem. So, since we have time, have you guys seen that radical transformation in your own lives? Can people identify it around you? Or have you seen a radical transformation in somebody else? Maybe that's a safer question tonight. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Can you all hear her? No. <laughs> I think you said a more transparent life, is that? Transformed your life. More open. I was reflecting with my mother-in-law. She was saying something about how she was a lot more huggy than she used to be in her, her younger days. And it made me realize that God has made me more hu- huggy as well. <laughs> I, I, I'm more able to express love and emotion because um, it, was, it was not something I would let out either. I, was, I think I, I identify with what you just said about being covered. and yeah. Yes, Emily. Mm. 
Thank you. Yes. I guess for me, there was a lot less fear of the unknown. Um, I think pretty much everybody here knows I'm adopted. I found my birth parents and my birth family in January. And before I requested my original birth certificate, Mike asked me, he's like, do you think you're going to be okay if this doesn't work out for you? And I said yes. <laughs> And just things have been a lot less scary. Mm -hmm. Things that normally freak me out because of the tailspin haven't done that so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's giving you a peace and an assurance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Well, I've enjoyed watching a lot of you be transformed by the gospel. I've seen it. Um, and I think we need to tell each other what we see Jesus doing. Um, because when we acknowledge him at work, we start seeing more of what he's doing. And that's really incredible. Um, the other night for the darkest moment where Paul looked up, um, I don't know if, for those of you who don't know, my brother-in-law is currently dying in Kansas um, of cancer. And it's been really extremely hard not to be there with my family. Um, I want to be there and hug my sister and do all those things with her. And um, So this passage actually keeps reminding me to look up instead of looking around. I mean, my brother-in-law is going to be with Jesus soon. So that's a wonderful thing. I don't need to look at the sadness of that. You know, I need to keep looking up that the Lord is taking care of them, and that he will provide a way for me to be there when it's time. Um, in the meantime, I'm called to be here and have to keep taking those cues like Paul did of health and otherwise. Um, so I think the reliance, somebody mentioned the reliance on self, and that's been accepting Jesus takes a lot of the self out of it as he transforms you and takes you out of the equation. It's, it's him in you instead of you. So, anyway, that is all. Um, anybody else have anything before? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. And yes. She, she makes an interesting point. I, I'm sitting here thinking about like how have I radically changed over the last five years since I invited Jesus into my life, uh, since Jesus invited me into his. Mm -hmm. And like it's hard to I, I can't think of anything radical that has happened. But I can see like little things here and there, like even now, you know, over the last year, like little things change. 
as you go on the journey. Mm -hmm. I'm not as focused on myself as I used to be. I am not as, I don't feel the need to be as in control of everything as I used to be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm quicker to have compassion and less quick to judge other people. So, but I don't know if those count as radical changes. <laughs> you know, just little things here and there that, that I just happen to notice. I think you can ask your wife and she'll probably point out some radical changes she's seen in you. <laughs> yes? It's hard for me because I became a Christian when I was very young. Mm. Um, but when I look over, like, the last... Well, when I look over my adult life, one of the radical changes for me was the process of forgiving my grandfather mm. for what he did to my father and his siblings. And, um, mm -hmm. and out of that, I'm able to go and interact with my father's family mm -hmm. in ways that I was not able to do mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I feel a lot more confident in general going into uncomfortable spaces. And it also helped me to embrace things about myself mm -hmm. that I get from my grandfather. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Jeremy, do you feel that that is something <coughs> that happened? <coughs> Yeah, and I, I think to kind of that same point, I get Paul, Paul has the, you can see both sides, and he's an adult, so you can see mm -hmm. where he was before and after, but if you surrendered as, as, as a youth when you were really young, it's kind of hard to tell those things, but I was just thinking about, there's probably multiple surrender points that mm -hmm. you're challenged by. Absolutely. So there's, yeah, there's lots of different things, like so with Karen, for sure, the, the preparedness, you know, the, that, that type of thing is, is a strength, but also can be a hindrance um, to her. So, so mm -hmm. things like that, mm -hmm. I think we see her change and grow and be more comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> 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 All right. Good point. Yeah. Multiple surrender points. That's true. All right. So in response to tonight, we have a few ways um, to respond. One is giving. If you are a guest here tonight, we do not expect you to give. However, this is a way to say that this is your home, and that you want to help take care of it. Um, we also have um, the healing chair, the white chair back there. Um, it is a place to go in which you can ask for prayer for things that you need healing from or things that you are um, you're just feeling weighed down by. And someone will come and join you. It may not be right away, but if you give them a little time to notice that you're back there, they will come and ask you just for a little, a little statement of what you're asking prayer for, and then they'll pray over you. And then thirdly, would be, oh, okay, communion is back here. Um, this is an opportunity for those who do say, I am the Lord's and I stand with him, to come and show that publicly here. Um, the bread represents his body given um, for the sin of all and his blood poured out in the form of juice and wine here. 
um, so that we can go and sin no more and be washed clean as we take that commitment to him. So, thank you.